Remember Who You Are. That movie came out when my daughter, Megan, was about two years old. And the VHS, we didn't have DVD players back then, or we didn't anyway. The VHS tape came out about a year later, and I promise you, I saw that scene every day, at least once a day or twice a day. The very first thing Megan ever learned to do was crawl to the VCR and hit stop and rewind and play. She figured that out all by herself. Remember, she was constantly playing that. And we watched that. We had to have watched that movie every day, two or three times a day for at least a year until the Aladdin VHS tape came out. And then we watched Aladdin every day after that. But I cannot tell you how many times I have heard the voice of James Earl Jones say those words, remember who you are. I sound a lot like him when I do that, don't I? And it's a pivotal scene. If you remember the movie, it's a pivotal scene. Simba has lost his way. The Simba the Lion King has, has lost his way. He has abandoned his father's, his father's kingdom. And he's chosen a life of complacency. He's chosen a life where he can just wallow in complacency with no cares at all. Do you remember Hakuna Matata? That's right. Hakuna Matata. We may not amen here, Steve, but we can Hakuna Matata all day long. Uh, no worries. But that's not who Simba was born to be. That's not the mantle he was created to carry. He was chosen uh, to be the king. That's not the image of his father. And then suddenly, in that moment, he is confronted with his father's words. And you notice, it's not just, remember who I was. His father doesn't say, remember who I was. Remember who you are. Who you were born to be. Remember who you are. And I think all of us can come to a point in our lives where if we're not careful, we forget. If we're not careful, we, we can lose ourselves. Last week, as we looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we saw that there was a point in Paul's life where he became so overwhelmed, so despondent, that he despaired of life itself. And if you've been in that moment of despair, if you've been in that moment when, when those dark moments of anxiety and depression, then you know that feeling. The problems begin to look so huge and you develop tunnel vision and all you can see is the pain in front of you. And in that moment, you can forget who you are. You can forget the strength that's been given to you. Well, that, that turmoil that we read about last week in, in 2 Corinthians, that turmoil and that stress in Paul's life that clouded his vision of who he was, that happened in the city of Ephesus. That happened in, in Ephesus. And so, as he begins his letter to the Ephesian church, the church in that, set, in that city, it seems appropriate that he begins with identity. Because in a world of shadows, in a world where we all have moments of darkness, it is easy to forget who we are. It's easy to forget who we belong to. And so he begins this letter to the Ephesians. And Paul seems to be saying, remember who you are, and remember whose you are. And I think where Paul begins is where all of us have to begin if we're going to understand who we are and whose we are. He doesn't begin with, with who we say we are. He doesn't begin with what anyone else might tell us that we are. 
But he begins with God Himself. And there's a lesson in that. You see, what, what you believe about God will shape what you believe about yourself, about who you are. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 1, of course, and verses 3 through 10 is what we're really going to be looking at today. If you've got those blue Bibles in front of you, it's page 976. Paul begins his letter pretty much as the way that he begins all the other letters. In fact, if you read verses 1 and 2, they, they look a lot like the other letters to, that Paul has written. He, he begins with words of greetings. He begins with words of praise. He begins with words of blessing. And it would be really easy for us to overlook that greeting from the Apostle Paul in those first two verses but, and just think, well, those are just ordinary words. But there is meaning there, even, even in his greeting. I want to take a moment and look at those first two verses. Verses 1 and 2. Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. That's, that's who he is. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. That's who, that's who they are. And then he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you hear that greeting? Grace to you and peace from God our Father. And our Lord and the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I, when we were in school and we were taught to write letters, people still write letters, right? Every now and then somebody writes a letter. When we were taught to write letters, we were taught to begin them with Dear Dear Jim or Dear Dear Eric or you know, we 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 learned that. That was the, the way we were taught. If it's more formal, you write to whom it may concern, and you, you put a colon there, right? We were taught that. That's how we were taught to begin letters. In the Roman world, you were taught to begin a letter with, with a word, kind of like we would say dear or hello or something like that. You were taught to begin a letter with the word kyrene. It's a great word. It's a Greek word. Kyrene. It means greetings. So when you see someone on the street later today when you're at, in line at the buffet and you've gotten there before everybody else, you can say kyrene when they, when they show up. Paul doesn't start with kyrene though. In fact, what Paul does is he changes the word to a word that sounds similar. And Paul begins his letter with the word charis instead of kyrene. Just a, just a little change in the word. But that word kyrene, it means greetings. The word kairis means grace to you. So he changes it from greetings to grace. And it seems like such a small thing. And yet here I am 2,000 years later making a big deal out of it, right? It seems like such a small thing, but Paul chose a different word. He chose a word that showed people they were valuable. He showed a word that he chose a word that showed people that God valued them and that that he valued them. And I think it's one of those little reminders we need every now and then where we need to be really careful about the words we choose and the words we use for other people. Do the words that we use for others do they show them that we value them, that God values them? That's what Paul does as he launches into this letter. And then he continues in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. You know, if you had to pick out a key word in verse 3, I think it would be pretty easy to find. It's blessed. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. There it is. He wants us to remember to not forget that God has blessed us. That who we are begins with God. What He has done for us. Who He has called us to be. And how He has blessed us. And what Paul shows us here is that you won't understand who you are if you don't begin with God. Some of, some of us some of us have had other people tell us who we are. Some of you have had other people tell you who you are and you've allowed other people to define your life for you from the things that they've said to the way that they have treated you. They have told you who you are and what you are worth. And, and for some of us, the worst words spoken to us were the words we spoke to ourselves. The things that we said to ourselves, about ourselves. Things that we believe about ourselves. And, and one of the things that, that Paul is teaching us by beginning with blessing, by beginning with praise, I think one of the things he's teaching us is who you worship is tied to what you believe about yourself. Who you worship is tied to, to what you believe about yourself. That's something we saw in Jesus. Do you remember in the wilderness when Jesus was being tempted by Satan? And Satan shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. He says, I will give all of these kingdoms to you if you just bow down and worship me. Jesus said, that's not who I am. Jesus says, no, that's, that's not who he is. That is not who he's going to worship. That's not how he's going to achieve what he needs to achieve. You will not find your identity in the words of other people. You will find your identity in God. If you place God first, you will find your place in him. But we let all kinds of people tell us who we are. We let all kinds of people tell us our worth. Or they tell us that we are worthless. But the call here is to listen to what your heavenly Father says about you. The Bible tells us that He created us in His image. And that never changes. As corrupted as, as we might be, as sinful as we might be, we have never been able to remove the image of God from our creation, from our story. Uh, we may have marred His image, we may have scarred His image, but it is always there. And so, as our Creator, as the One in whose image we are created, He gets to tell us who we are. He gets to assign value to us. And so we read on in verse 5, beginning in verse 4, it says, in love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us. Now, there are some huge concepts in those three little verses right there. There are some huge concepts. And, and I don't have time in this 45-minute long sermon to explain all of them. Look, I got your attention. I don't have time to explain all of these huge concepts in those three verses. It will make your head spin. We don't have time to hit them all, but the very first thing he said is huge. He predestined us. Now, whatever else that might mean, hear it carefully. He chose us before. He decided beforehand. Now, for some people, when they read that, they take it all the way back to creation. Before creation began, God chose you. Before time 
had started. God had chosen you. And you can do that with that word, but I want you to hear it for yourself. For who you are today. For who you are right now. Before you sinned, God chose you. Before your failure, He chose you. Before you got your act together, got yourself cleaned up, got yourself off whatever it was you were on, and then stumbled and fell back into those bad habits or those addictions, before you recovered and lost it again, He chose you. Before you thought that you had screwed everything up beyond repair, He chose you. When we get that down, when we, when we make that personal, it's going to give us a handle on everything else that He says about us. He says He adopted us. He, he pulled us out of a fatherless existence, an existence that was marked by failure, and He gave us a new identity, an identity found in Him, an identity found in Him as our Father, found in His kingdom. Verse 7 says He redeemed us. That's language of emancipation, that we have been set free from slavery. There are things in your life that once held you. There are things in your life that once owned you, and He set us free from those. Now the sad thing is, there's always going to be reminders of those things in our lives. Those things that used to own us. And you will find, you will find those things that now have no power over you. Those things that are now dead. Sometimes they get dragged back up. Sometimes we resuscitate them. Sometimes they seem to have new life to them. They get dragged up in your memory again and again. And you will find other people in your life who will not let them go. And will not let you grow beyond those things. They want to define you by who you used to be. Don't let them do that. Don't do that to yourself. You are a child of the King. You have been chosen. You have been redeemed. Remember who you are. That's where you have to find your identity. You know, you can reach back as far back in your past as you want. You can reach back far as far back as you want, past, past into your failures, beyond your failures, and it's never far enough. God chose you before that. You'll never understand who you are until you understand whose you are. Your identity, if your identity is in your failure, then your failure owns you. If your identity is in the opinions of other people about you, then they own you. Then their opinions own you. If your identity is in the words that you say to yourself, that you have failed again and again, that you are not good enough, that you are worthless, then some part of you is trying to steal back what God rightfully owns, what He rightfully purchased, what He calls His own. Remember who you are and remember whose you are. One of the things I, I love about this passage is it isn't just about who we are, but, but why. Why are we who we are? Why would God do this? Why would He choose you? Why would He adopt you? Why would He call you His own? Verse 5 says He did it according to the purpose of His will. That's something we'll never understand. According to the purpose of His will. We'll never get a handle on, on His purpose. We'll never get a handle on His will. Verse 6 says He did it to the praise of His glorious grace. Verse 7 says, according to the riches of His grace. Hear those. To the praise of His glorious grace. According to the riches of His grace. 
Do you remember the word Paul chose to greet the Ephesians? Grace to you. That's not just a greeting. Grace to you is the heartbeat of these people. It needs to be our heartbeat for each other. Our heartbeat for everyone needs to be to bring grace to them. He says of this grace in verses 8 and 9, it says of this grace, He lavished it upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Verse 10, He said this was done as His plan. You'll hear people every now and then say, God has a plan for you, right? You'll hear people try to comfort you in some horrible circumstances. Well, God has a plan. And I believe God has a plan, but I think that plan is bigger than you and me. It's bigger than just us as individuals. His plan is to unite all things in Him, in Christ. And He chooses to begin that with us and to use you and me to make His will known, to make His love known, to make His forgiveness known by letting your life stand as a testimony to His grace. Remember who you are. Remember whose you are. And the fact is, some of you have listened to everyone but your Heavenly Father tell you who you are. You've listened to everyone but your Heavenly Father tell you who you are. And again, some of the worst things that you've heard are the things that you've told yourself. But what if we begin where Paul begins? Not just in words that affirm our value, that we are valuable, but by placing God first, by placing His words first, by placing His choice of us first, by placing His grace to us first, above what anyone else might say, above what we might even say about ourselves. What difference would it make in how you see yourself, in who you are, and in whose you are? And there's just one other thing. Before Paul said any of these things about himself, before he said any of these things to his readers, he he began with grace. He began with that word, grace to you. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There is someone in your life who needs more than a high There's someone in your life who needs more than a howdy. They need more than a greetings. They need grace. They need to hear words of grace because they are not hearing them from anyone else. They are not hearing those words from themselves. They are not hearing those words from the people around them. They need to hear words of grace from you and me. They need to hear us tell them who they could be whose they could be. Let's stand together and pray. Father, there is so much about You that we will never understand. There is so much about Your nature and about Your person that we will never grasp. And Lord, at the beginning of that list ought to be Your amazing love for us. That as much of a mess as we are, as big of a mess as we have made our lives, as as much as we have failed ourselves and failed others, your grace has never failed us. Father, we thank you. 
We thank you for who you've called us to be. We thank you for you, who you have adopted us to be, who you have purchased us to be, who you have redeemed us to be. Lord, there's a world of people out here who have never heard a word of grace spoken to them. All they've been told is who they aren't and what they aren't and that they're not good enough. May they never hear those kind of words from a Christian. May they never hear those kind of words from someone who has been the recipient of such amazing grace. Let us speak those words into their life. Let's tell them whose they could be. Who they could be. In your grace and to your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.